welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Hey, welcome to Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead the cultural issues of our day. I'm Ed Stetzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Executive Director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. We're excited to have today with us Dr. Francis Collins. Dr. Collins is an evangelical Christian, uh, well-known in the Christian community. He was appointed the 16th Director of the National Institutes of Health by President Obama, confirmed by the Senate. 2017, President Trump asked him to continue. And again, the same in 2021, President Joe Biden. He's the only presidentially appointed NIH director to serve more than one administration. In this role, he actually oversees the work of the largest supporter of biomedical research in the world, spanning the spectrum from basic to clinical research. Um, he's got lots of accomplishments, right? He's actually a physician, physician geneticist noted for his landmark discoveries of disease genes and his leadership in the International Human Genome Project. He's a very committed Christian. We've had him on before. Remember, we've merged. And if you're listening to the Stetzer Leadership Podcast, you need to head over to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast and subscribe there. We've merged those together. But in the old notes, we'll link to it in the new show notes as well. You'll actually hear our first conversation with Dr. Collins. But before we hear from Dr. Collins, I want to remind you about the Amplify Outreach Conference coming October 19th and 20th. Amplify Outreach is designed for pastors and Christians passionate about entering the real issues of our day helping people discover authentic faith in Christ. So be sure to learn more about the conference at AmplifyOutreach.com. Let me also mention to you that September 19th is Back to Church Sunday. I'm going to ask Dr. Collins about that, but I also would say that in different places, people will engage in Back to Church Sunday in different ways. Again, I want to encourage you to, in the show notes, you'll see a link for Back to Church Sunday as well. Let's jump into our conversation with Dr. Collins. Thank you again to Dr. Collins for joining us. This is actually, well, the second time you've been with us having these conversations. And in the course of those conversations, one of the questions that we had that I want to start off with was, um, this wasn't the first question last time, but you were gathering for worship online. You're a follower of Jesus. Uh, you shared a little bit of your testimony last time. People can see that. But um, have you gone to back to in-person gatherings at church? And if not, what's your thought of a timeline for something like that? That's what a lot of church leaders, and we're the Church Leaders Podcast, that's what a lot of people are wondering. Well, Ed, it's great, nice to be with you again. And yeah, I understand a lot of people wondering what is the right thing to do now. Unfortunately, this Delta variant, uh, which took over the viral population in the United States, at really remarkable speed uh, starting back in June and is now 99% of the viral isolates that we're getting in every state of the country has made everything complicated and unfortunately has resulted in this big surge of new cases now 150, 160,000 a day, things we haven't seen since back at the beginning of this year and hoped we wouldn't see again. So that really does change things on top of that. We do have evidence uh, that people who've been vaccinated uh, can also still get infected. They don't get very sick, and oftentimes they don't get sick at all, but they're capable of having the virus in their nose and throat and then spreading it to others. 
which is why CDC's made this recommendation now that if you're indoors, even if you're vaccinated, you should be wearing a mask because you might be the unwitting spreader of this virus to people nearby. All of that says that gatherings indoors are now riskier than they were before Delta came along. And especially if you have unvaccinated people in the group, they're really at high risk. This is such a contagious virus. This pandemic has really turned into one that has the greatest risks attached to those 80 million people who aren't vaccinated yet. And we have to really think about how to keep them safe while at the same time urging them uh, to go ahead and take care of this kind of protection. So I fear the recommendations which CDC has, which are out there, that is avoid indoor gatherings if you can, but if you must try to keep physical distance and have everybody wearing masks, that is the safest way. So to answer your first question, no, I am not back uh, to in-person worship and I really miss that. I'm still doing this online. I'm also a member of a men's book club, which is mostly a Bible club, and we're still meeting online. We'll meet tonight, and I miss the chance to be sitting around the table uh, with some of these thoughtful believers that I can learn from and share with, but I'm still here in my home office in Chevy Chase, Maryland, trying to run a $42 billion a year operation called NIH and trying to keep my faith moving forward as best I can without that human contact that I really miss. Yeah. Is your church meeting or are they still just completely online? They're online. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mine's not. And most people are not. And so part of what I'm trying to figure is uh, if, if kids need in-person school, which I think we probably universally hold, I remember Dr. Fauci saying early on, close the bars, open the schools or something like that. Maybe that was somebody else, but I, I, that phrase, resonated. Um, but if kids need in-person school and we don't have any clear end to this pandemic, do people need in-person church or are we just, could this, because we don't know how long this is going to last. Are there, are there ways to do this more safely? Well, everything's a balance between benefits and risks. Sure. I certainly agree. Kids need to be in school. The, the consequences of missing out on that personal interaction for educational progress, uh, for social interactions, just for human development as a child are really significant. Uh, those of us who are adults and are missing our church gathering, we're suffering too. But I, if I have to make a priority, it's getting those kids in school is even higher in, in my list. Um, and that is why, again, I, I hope we're going to succeed at that. Here, here we are, schools getting back in session. It troubles me greatly that somehow we've gotten in this big political debate about whether masks need to be worn in school for kids under 12 who can't be vaccinated, who could therefore get infected and could then spread it to others. If we don't have mask wearing in school, it's guaranteed we're going to have outbreaks and then the kids will be back home again doing the virtual thing that we were trying to avoid really too bad that has turned into such a strange argument that's going on. But there we are. And in terms of what churches can do, again, I think in special circumstances, especially if your church can meet outside, well, take advantage of that because we know it's safer. Otherwise, if there is an absolutely critical need, keep that physical distance and insist that everybody wear masks. And on top of that, I guess I want to exhort pastors uh, once again, uh, to try to use your credibility uh, with your flock uh, to put forward the public health measures that we know can work. And that includes, if you're not already vaccinated, 
do so. This is an answer to prayer and seems to me ought to be embraced by believers. And yet there's still a great deal of resistance, so unfortunate mixing of scientific information with conspiracies and sometimes politics. And it's not a good mix. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think we're, we agree on uh, that there's appropriate, you know, for masks in school, I'm not, I'm not, you don't see me out with a sign um, uh, vaccinated, you know, you don't, you don't see me concerned, encouraging others to get vaccinated, though that's been kind of a significant blowback that I received. I encourage pastors to encourage others to get vaccinated. I think this is the, yes. the kind of thing I, I, I wrote an article about this and talked about, you know, Jonathan Edwards and, and his own journey and others. So historically, pastors have been those who encourage this area and people say, well, we don't get a political, this isn't political, this is a health issue. What I'm not sure I'm on the same place as the esteemed Dr. Francis Collins is if kids need in-person school and we can take appropriate mitigations, why don't we also say that we need in-person church? And again, I, I um, so why? I mean, why, why? I mean, we all, we, you, you be, you've been a Christian a long time. You know, I don't have to quote the verses to you, but people want me to quote the verses to you, but you know the verses. Church is not just about electrons and avatars. It's about feet and faces. If we can have kids sitting in desks and follow mitigations, can we do that in church? We can do it. And again, the question is, what's the risk? And how strongly do we feel that that risk is worth taking? Fair. Um, if Christ's... Uh, strongest recommendation to us uh, love the lord your god with all your heart all your soul and all your mind we're supposed to use our mind about this and of course the next commandment love your neighbor as yourself this is a love your neighbor circumstance because if you are gathering in person in a church even being careful about it there may be somebody sitting there who's got an immune deficiency maybe they know it maybe they don't and then that individual, despite thinking they were protected, turns out to get COVID, ends up in the ICU and maybe loses their life. So how do we balance that risk, which is not zero, uh, against the deep desire that we all have uh, to gather together? What is God calling us to do in that circumstance? I guess I come back to love your neighbor. And if I'm doing something that I think might be putting my neighbor at risk, then I'm worried about moving in that direction. Well, you know, I'm super thankful for you, and you know, I'm I'm pressing on this because, I mean, your church is a meeting, but I I I can't tell you the number, but the vast majority now are. You know, churches came back at different paces, and um, African American churches were the s slowest to regather, but now we're seeing um, most uh, gathering. Some of them even even gathering. Um, you know this September being a time when they're starting. You know, I, I full disclosure, I'm the national spokesperson for Back to Church Sunday on September 19th. However, we've also said in our language that for some people that's in person, for some people that's online, but we do think that it matters that people have those communities. And part of my concern is, well, a big part of my concern is theological, right? So we won't unpack all that for the sake of time, but I've written on that elsewhere. Um, but part of my concern is also that community, right? This this sense of community that we we need. That's part of why we've moved kids to school um, including my, my daughter, who's a high schooler that, that, you know, schools here weren't meeting in person for a while. Um, so I guess the question is if the vast majority are meeting and they are, so I guess that's not necessarily a conditional question since they are meeting, what recommendations would you give to those that are meeting? What, what might we do? We're cause we, you know, the social distancing is, I mean, church attendance is down in a lot of places, so that's possible in a lot of places. Masks are possible. 
what might you suggest if 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 you were the 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 king of evangelicalism or <laughs> what, what would you say do this and the churches well okay uh, that are meeting because i know if you're the king of evangelicalism we might not be meeting but those that are meeting <laughs> we'd certainly not be and i wouldn't be sitting here uh, so Framed that way, uh, Ed, uh, if churches are determined to meet, what can they do to reduce the likelihood uh, of creating a bad super spreading situation? Well, uh, certainly continuing to insist on mask wearing for everybody, vaccinated or unvaccinated, uh, to the degree that it's possible uh, to do so, um, it would be great to exhort those who are unvaccinated to step into that space and take care of that. And then there is the physical distancing, trying to maintain that six foot distance, which may mean uh, marking off part areas in the pews to make it clear that that is expected. Although families who are, of course, arriving together and have been unmasked around each other all day need not be separated, but others should. Probably the most dangerous part of this is not what happens during the service. It's what happens right afterward. We're also glad to see each other. And it's like, oh, I haven't had the chance to wrap my arms around this person who's my best friend in months. And so pretty soon um, your desire for human contact uh, kind of overtakes uh, your sense of what might be safe. And that's where I think a lot of trouble can happen. So churches need to think about that, prepare for that, have people kind of plan how they're going to deal with that, have a strategy for the post-service gathering uh, to be sure that isn't where it all falls apart. Okay, so um, the New York Times wrote an article that had a, a headline that I and others complained about, and they subsequently changed the headline that kind of, because it kind of felt like they were saying churches were the source of significant number of outbreaks. We, we don't see, um, uh, with the exception of some few very well-known circumstances, we, are churches big parts of the spreaders of this? It hasn't, we've seen camps, we've seen others, but I don't see where the churches make the big news. And when they did, New York Times sort of overplayed their headline and then backed, backed up on their headline as a little bit. So what's been your impression? Um, I don't think we really know. Our ability to do contact tracing in the United States uh, has been really limited, especially now that we're in this surge where there's so many cases, almost 160,000 every day. There's no way we have the person power to figure out if you have this, where did you get it? So most of the time we have no real idea of what the transmission pathway was. And as you've said, many churches have not been meeting in person anyway uh, over the course of some months. So, yeah, the limit to, is there in terms of uh, how much you could look at that as a source. But if we are getting back into a more regular face to face gathering, uh, the risk is there. And I know I'm sounding like, you know, the, the sourpuss in this. Yes, whole yes, conversation. you are. Just to get it out there. Yes, you are. I'm so. trying, trying to give you the facts as I yeah. know, them, even though they are not the facts you want to hear. That's okay, what scientists are called to do. I'm afraid. And, you know, I'm on, remember, I remember I've been like on, on team uh, Francis Collins for a long time. You know, had, had you been promoting, we partnered with the CDC. Um, you know, we actually created FAQs in partnership with the CDC and HHS. So I'm not against what you're saying. I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, um, let's say, and I know hypotheticals are a pain, but work with me. So let's say that the Delta variant and the Mu variant, and then, I mean, this, if this is five years or 10 years, and I recognize that would be a bit of a historical pattern, a historical norm, but are you just going to, stay home forever? Or at what point do you say, um, 
you know what? This is a time where we're going to have to work through this. The virus, we've got vaccination widely available. People are making their choices. Um, um, and you know, people can, who are at higher risk can, 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 wear, can wear a mask. And, 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 you know, in Illinois, I wear, I wear a mask. I came down here wearing a mask. So, so again, not anti that. I recognize there's a whole group of people. I'm not in that group of people. I'm in the group of people that says, is it 10 years from now we're still not able to have church and still masking? Or at what point do we say we're going to have to walk through this and um, find ways to protect the vulnerable and walk with the situation that we have? Well, Ed, it's kind of going to be up to all of us. Right. We know what we need to do uh, to send this thing uh, into uh, the past. And that is something, unfortunately, we haven't been successful at doing. Until we have uh, the vast majority of our population immunized, this virus is going to continue to evolve, develop new mutations, and of course, uh, spread itself again. And that's not just about the US, that's about the country and the globe. So basically, I don't think it's going to be five or 10 years, but I don't see it sort of getting better in the next month or so when you see where we are at the present time. So maybe it's time. <laughs> Uh, to actually say this a little more clearly, hey, nation, if you want this to be over with, there is a responsibility that all of us have, not just the people who decided uh, to take action, but all of us. You don't get to the end of a pandemic when you have a significant number of people who are still able to catch it, spread it, and incubate new mutations. If we could somehow uh, figure out how to get the message across, and that includes a lot of people in churches who are still hesitant about taking these actions, then we might be able to send this thing packing. But, you know, and I didn't dream we'd be having this conversation in September of 2021. There's no reason we should be here. If we'd been successful in convincing everybody that these incredibly safe and effective vaccines were answers to prayer that they would want to take, and we had 95% of our population in that space, we'd be in a very different place. So if you want the future to be better, if you want people to be able to gather in churches and other places, we've somehow got to get the full endorsement of everybody, including a lot of believers. <laughs> that this is up to us. This is not one of those where you stand back and let somebody else take care of it. Yeah. So considering, remember that I've been, been tooting that horn with you. So I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not yelling at you. Ed, I don't feel I'm yelled at. I don't feel yelled at. Some people who are listening, maybe who aren't quite there. <laughs> no, I don't feel yelled at. I'm saying that maybe <laughs> just to maybe because I'm pushing a little bit. So, because I, I agree with you on all of those things and I, I've tried to encourage, I get that pastors, are saying that uh, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to encourage people to get the vaccine. I, I, I have just just for the well, I'm, I'm just saying for me, I'm for, I have, I'm with you. Remember, I'm on, I'm on the team here. But some pastors say I don't want to do that, so I just said, well, just go ahead and take when you get vaccinated, post a picture and say, so thankful I was able to get vaccinated. So maybe you don't have to say, please get. I mean, I, I did say I've tweeted, please get vaccinated. My wife says every time you put that on Facebook, it just blows up into this train wreck. I'm like, people need to see that it is the reasonable view. It is not out of the mainstream. And the fact that people are like lurking around on Twitter and Facebook to blow up about this doesn't mean that we shouldn't speak the truth. So I'm, so I'm with you. So, so that's what I'm encouraged to do. I, you know, I, I think masking is, is not, is not a unreasonable ask in the midst of a global pandemic. Um, but I want to come back. Are you, Dr. Fauci, who works for you, 
So I need you to I need you to call him, get him on the phone right now. He <laughs> talked about maybe by next spring. So on what basis is that? I mean, we're seeing we saw the Delta numbers in the UK and other places, and then we see this very strange thing in Israel going on. So on what basis is anyone talking about next spring? Because my concern is there's just wave after wave. Well, none of us have a crystal ball. And if anybody claimed they did and tried to use it a year ago, they never would have predicted where we are now. So let's be clear. Uh, the virus is changing. Um, and our response to it is unpredictable. You put those two things together and anybody who tries to tell you what's going to happen beyond a couple of weeks from now is probably using models that have all kinds of assumptions that aren't necessarily going to turn out to be right. Let me put on my optimistic hat a minute. <laughs> One thing we I are need, learning... I need you to do that. I need you to live <laughs> with that optimistic hat. I got it. So you mentioned Israel. Uh, they're a month or two ahead of us, both in terms of their observations about Delta, because it got there uh, really quick, and their observations about the effectiveness of the vaccine. What they have learned is that the vaccine does wane in its effectiveness over months, which is why we are now here in the U.S. seriously looking at the possibility of boosters uh, for everybody, already recommending them for immunocompromised people. But now the latest data from Israel looks actually quite exciting, that when you see what happens with boosters, which they started administering on July 30th, you drop the rate of infection tenfold, 12 days after that booster. You drop the rate of hospitalization, which was fortunately pretty low, but drop it very, very far down, at least tenfold. There are immunologists who will say, well, that's really the way you get the immune system to recognize that it has a long-term threat. And you give a couple of doses acutely, and then you give another one six months later, and then you're really primed. If that's right, and if we can mount the booster, problem, uh, booster project in the United States, we may find ourselves in a much better place for people really to be safe. If you're then fully vaccinated, including the booster, your likelihood of getting infected and spreading it to other people goes way down. Your likelihood of getting seriously ill goes extremely far down. And then you have a circumstance where at least for the vaccinated people, life could start to look a lot like normal. It doesn't help the unvaccinated people, but hopefully if they will begin to understand why you don't want to be in that group uh, when there is now a hope of something that really looks like the protection we've been waiting for. That's my optimistic view, but that I like your optimistic all view. kinds of unpredictables. I'm going to take out all of your unpredictable comments and just say, this is what Dr. Collins said is going to happen. So this is, <laughs> this is, this is how we do it on the Stetzer Church Leaders uh, podcast. Oh yeah. Now, I was afraid of that. I'm kidding. No, I got you. I got your back. Um, and it's been costly to have your back, might I add. Let's come back to you to talk about. Um, <laughs> yes, thank you. It has. So, so let's talk about vaccination because, um, one of the things we're trying to figure out is is the best way. Again, I for me, I've encouraged it. I, I literally, please get vaccinated. Three words blows up every time I post it on Twitter. People say to me, why do you do it? I say, because this is what the vast majority of pastors and church leaders want to say, but they can't say. What I'm saying is not controversial. But the problem is, is that it feels controversial to pastors and church leaders because social media has made it so. Uh, even, even though, I mean, again, this is uh, President Trump spoke to, I think it was in Coleman, Alabama, and told people to please get vaccinated, and they booed him. Uh, and and so what's the best way, and let's just talk to our community. You're an evangelical 
I'm an evangelical. Most of our listeners or the Stetzer Church Leader Podcast are evangelicals. What's the best way for pastors and church leaders to encourage vaccination as well as other precautions against COVID-19 in their communities? Well, first, I guess I'm increasingly needing to remember it's better to listen than to lecture. Uh, So to provide an opportunity for people who are troubled about the safety or the efficacy of vaccines to express their concerns, find out what that's based on, because there's a lot of things on that list, almost all of which one can actually deal with and provide evidence that the information that you may have heard is simply not based on fact. So yeah, start with that. Let's let's really hear what the concerns are. And then one by one, let's try to address them. And let's remind ourselves as evangelical Christians, we're about truth. We're not about distortions. We're not about conspiracies. We're not about lies. The truth will set us free and lies will imprison us. And so we ought to be as first steps here in trying to decide about whether the vaccine is meant for us or not to say, what's the truth of the matter? It's not hard to find the truth. There's lots of resources out there. Go to Curtis Chang's wonderful videos about Christians and vaccines. Oh, heck, listen to podcasts from people like me talking to people like Walter Kim or you, Ed, or Rick Warren or Franklin Graham, kind of walking through what is the evidence and why would faithful Christians want to see this, not as a threat, but as an answer to prayer, a God-given gift that is going to save lives. Just hit that reset button on all the negative inputs that people have had and try to replace it with the truth. If we could start there, I think we'd get a long way. I mean, all those people who write you really strongly worded messages on Facebook after you say, please get vaccinated, those are people of faith. Where does that come from, that reaction? What have they been told that turns out to be wrong? And let me say, I have all kinds of sympathy with people who have been brought into this place of fear and misunderstanding by incoming information. I don't have sympathy for the people who are spreading that mis and disinformation when they know it's not true. How could we as believers ever justify that? Yeah. Um, So let's talk about right now, big conversation about religious exemptions. And uh, a lot of us are getting asked for uh, giving religious exemptions to the COVID-19 vaccine, which they're not asking for religious exemptions to some of the other vaccines, but it seems that suddenly this has become the thing. So I want, well, I probably need to get there through a path though. Because we've talked before about the uh, the source uh, and the process to develop these vaccines, and and some Christians, uh, uh, some people in our Catholic friends and others, have had concerns about uh, fetal aborted fetal cell lines being used in one and then used in testing in the others. So, getting us to ultimately how we deal with the exemption question, a lot of the exemption question is around those stem cell lines. Can you just remind us, I I know you've answered this a thousand times, but pastors and church leaders get this question regularly. So what what is the relationship of abortion, not just now, but in the past related to these vaccines? Yeah, there is a lot of misinformation out there and serious concerns. I totally get this. So there are fetal cell lines derived in the 1970s, a couple of them, uh, from um, legal terminations in Scandinavia, uh, where cell lines were derived that have been growing in the laboratory ever since from fetal tissues. 
They turn out to be cell lines that the biotechnology and pharmaceutical industry uh, use uh, just to generate all kinds of products that require a cell to grow it in. Um, that is the way in which the J&J &J vaccine is currently prepared, growing in one of those cell lines. Again, one that has been in, in laboratories for almost 50 years. The Catholic Church has looked at this. They're not crazy about that, to be sure, but they have indicated that if this is going to be potentially life-saving, it's acceptable for a Catholic to take that vaccine. The other vaccines, the Pfizer and the Moderna, seem even further removed from this concern because they are not prepared in fetal cell lines. They are mRNA vaccines that are synthesized sort of as a chemical reaction in a, in a test tube, if you will. There is a way in which if you want to be sure the vaccine is going to work the way it's supposed to, they test uh, the vaccine against uh, those cell lines or one of those cell lines in a lab experiment just to be sure everything went right. But it's not grown in the cell line. So if you're thinking about is there something in that syringe that is directly involved in a pregnancy termination, there is not. And certainly, let me be clear, there is no current use of abortion material in preparing any of these vaccines, because I think that's gotten a little muddy out there. And some people think that's part of the process of making these vaccines. Not true at all. It is. I, and I think if people have a moral concern about J&J, &J, they you would direct them to Moderna, Pfizer, or hopefully others coming down the line as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think they can feel pretty comfortable in that circumstance. And again, the Catholic Church, which is quite concerned about these issues, has a very official Vatican position that any, any of these vaccines are acceptable for Catholics, although the mRNA vaccines are preferable. So as a Christian um, and a scientist, do you think there's any basis for a Christian or what would be the basis if so to claim a religious exemption from vaccines? I have trouble seeing what it would be. I guess I'd like to hear somebody articulate that, but uh, right from what I know as a scientist and a Christian, I can't see how that fits together in some sort of rational argument. Okay, my colleague here at Wheaton, she's a professor of applied health sciences, Dr. Allison Rourke. She observed that a lot of the conflict over how to respond to the pandemic comes from what she called competing visions of what is good and healthy for individuals and communities. So again, as a evangelical Christian and a scientist, how do you think about health? How can we as Christians be, her words, our sisters and brothers keeper, during this pandemic when it comes to all areas of health, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual? How does that work? Well, believe me, that's something that I think about a lot as a physician and somebody who's tried to use the God-given tools of science to try to provide prevention of terrible diseases and then better treatment of them if they occur. It does seem to me that if you look at the life of Jesus, about which I wish we knew more, but what we do know, a lot of it seemed to have been spent in healing. And I think we were supposed to notice that, that that is part of our charge if we're going to be followers, is to figure out ways also to use God-given skills uh, to try to help people um, who are suffering. If you look at the story of the Good Samaritan, and read it carefully. Uh, when the Good Samaritan comes along after the priest and the Levite have passed by the man who was robbed and stripped and beaten and left by the side of the road, the Good Samaritan doesn't just take him to the end. He also treats him. He bandages his wounds. He pours on oil and wine. He is conducting the kind of medicine of the day to try to help this person who is suffering. 
the fact that that's in there in that parable, I kind of got to notice that. So I do think God calls all of us to do what we can uh, to try to optimize the health of ourselves and our neighbors as part of this requirement that we have to love each other and that God blesses that. I think God blesses the advances in medicine by making it possible through the tools of science for us to make discoveries that God knew all along, but we get the opportunity to do in a laboratory, which then can also be like a cathedral if you wanna think about it that way. So I think it all fits together beautifully well. And I think missionary doctors over many centuries would agree. Yeah, I think it has been a connection between Christians and these, you know, these health issues in the past. So, so all right, so we talked about information. We both agree that there's been a misinformation challenge. So what can church leaders do to guide their congregations towards accurate information and steer them away from misinformation? You know, we partnered with you and the CDC with coronavirusinthechurch.com. You mentioned those videos uh, and other places, but there just seems to be people they're just not believing it. And I think part of it is, to be blunt, some of the early information about, all right, don't wear masks, but we really should have wore masks. And so I think we're not all of that, but we're still reaping the harvest of changing, changing messaging, some of which changed because the science changed, some of which changed because the science didn't change. So how do we steer them to right information? Well, I... Glad you brought up the sort of changing in the recommendations. I would say the vast majority of changes have happened because we learned more about this virus and we're going to learn more again. And so don't be surprised if the recommendations change again in the future, because that will be what we then believe is the right thing to do. You know, if you were investing in the stock market and somebody told you to buy this week and to sell next week, would you say, oh, you're just flip flopping? No, they're (laughs) responding to change in the information, the evidence about the time. We have to do that in science, too. So please reassure people about that, that the changes and recommendations are not capricious. They're not trying to push you around, trying to give the best advice we can with the evidence that we've got. So yeah, where should people look? I mentioned those videos of Curtis Chang. I would certainly also suggest, although it's not a church site, something called Get Vaccines, GetVaccineAnswers.org, um, or go to a website called We Can Do This, uh, which also has a lot of well-phrased, accessible, evidence-based answers to the questions that people commonly ask. Um, but things like what we're doing right now, Ed, and uh, trying to get information to pastors who are in a remarkably important place right now to try to help us get through this and to give them the information and the courage to take on something that's in many churches <laughs> not a pleasant experience <laughs> if they're going to go down the road of talking about this. But isn't that what we're all called to at a time where we're losing 1,500 people a day, many of whom didn't need to die because they didn't have the right information, they didn't get vaccinated, and now it's over for them. This is a terrible tragedy, and even taking some risks in terms of sharing the information, becoming ambassadors for the truth, seems like something we should all be doing. And historically, Christian pastors did see that as their role, and it was costly then. I mean, so, you know, houses were firebombed, you know, back, back, you know, a couple centuries ago. And so this is always a controversial issue. Um, I would say that part of the challenge right now is that a lot of people are 
suspicious of a lot of the apparatus that you oversee. You know, you oversee different roles that are ultimately there. Some of that comes from what I briefly mentioned is the changing guidance on masks, which I think, you know, was a mistake. I think the former attorney general talked about how they, they shouldn't have done that way. But but also, too, it's the question of, you know, and I got to tell you, for me, I'm telling somebody, I tell people, believe the CDC. And then I see people from the CDC go on and change language about mothers to, to uh, you know, pregnant persons and things of that sort. So it's it's hard for me. It's becoming increasingly hard for me in the last few months as one who wants to be your champion when the apparatus that is under NIH and all the health stuff seems to have been caught up in some of the currents of the day. So why should I, as an evangelical Christian who believes that mothers have children um, and yet that's different language now coming from different parts of areas you oversee, then say, but what they're saying about the virus, which I believe, remember, I'm on your team, but I'm having to answer these questions to people in my churches. So how would you answer that as a fellow evangelical that I trust? Well, I would say, first of all, it's probably not a surprise to any of us that all human institutions have flaws. <laughs> and that certainly applies to government institutions and to churches as well. They're created by human beings. We have this incredible wisdom that is poured into rusty vessels and it doesn't always come out quite the way you would like. And so be a little bit uh, accepting of the fact uh, that institutions are always going to have these flaws, but then try to look past that. And again, let's come back to this issue about what is the truth. And if there's something I'm really worried about more than even COVID-19, it's this sense that we've become unmoored from an a appreciation that truth is what really matters, that we will be guided by that. And if we start to step away from that, even if we don't like the message, well, where will we be? And this is not just the secular world that's all about alternative facts. It's the church too. If we've lost that, if the truth is what we need to set us free, well, the alternative is not a place that is gonna have a future. So yeah, okay, go ahead and be uh, frustrated about institutions that don't say things quite the way you want. I hear you, but ask what's the truth here and where are you most likely to find it? And I would say you're gonna find a lot more truth in the CDC website than on Facebook. No, I, I agree with that, I agree with that. I would be remiss and people will yell at me if I didn't say, I think also the truth is, is that mothers are the people who are pregnant and have children. And so it's hard hearing from you who I know, and I know, you know, I know your journey. I know you love the Lord. Um, that's kind of a hard message. I want to say to you, yes. Can you address that in some of your areas that you oversee as well? Because that's true too. We got to follow the science in multiple places. But again, remember, I'm on Francis Collins' team. <laughs> I'm trying to answer people who I say, listen, you got to go to the CDC website, believe the truth. And they say, you mean the same CDC website that can't say that mothers are pregnant? So it's, it get, it's harder for us to persuade those conversations. So what I hear you saying- I'm really sorry that those issues are getting tangled up here, believe me, and I'm yeah. not the uh, director of the CDC. Right. And I am worried that in fact, the credibility of some of the things we're trying to say gets all muddied over with some of these other issues that are very controversial. So I totally hear you. Okay, so we only got a few minutes left and I share your desire for people to take appropriate mitigations, shares our people to get vaccinated. 
Um, and I think it's, I think it is working. There's a, the vast majority of people in, of pastors and church leaders, I think, want to encourage people to do this, but they're just not sure how. Um, are you saying just get up and say, uh, knowing that people are going to leave your church over this, that just get vaccinated? And, or is there a way, is there a persuasion process here? Is there an exhortation process here that we can use? What would be your advice to encourage people? Well, I think people respond to stories. And I think we probably haven't done a very good job of that. I'm talking to myself here. Uh, that we quote statistics, uh, we say, okay, 99% of the people who died from COVID last week were unvaccinated. Shouldn't that get your attention? And it maybe just causes people to tighten up. Why are we not telling the human stories, the heartbreaking ones, or the stories of triumph of people who escaped this because they did the right thing? There's plenty of those out there. Um, the father who's sending his final text uh, to his wife uh, from the ICU um, about to die of COVID, who recognizes that his children are going to be without a dad and wants her to be sure to tell everybody out there that they should do what he didn't do, which is to take care of himself and get vaccinated. Those stories, I think, touch people's hearts. And pastors are really good at telling stories. So maybe a little less statistics and a little more human values of what it means to take care of yourself and your family. That would be a good start. Yeah, that's good. I, I'm vaccinated because of my family, my whole family's vaccinated, and I encourage people to get vaccinated along with you as well. You're the longest serving director of the National Institutes of Health, if I recall, uh, and you have been working nonstop, and I know you love and care for people. I, Even when I pushed you on questions of churches meeting, I know that that's all driven by your care and compassion. I, I preached at Saddleback a few weeks ago, and they're still meeting outside, and in my conversation with Rick, he mentioned your conversation with him, and and his advice. I think people are going to make different decisions, but I, I do want to just remind people that we're still in the midst of the greatest global crisis of our lifetime and a global pandemic. And I want to say to you, I'm thankful for your willingness to have these conversations, for willingness for me to even ask some hard questions. And I just, uh, for our listeners, I hope you'll be praying for Francis Collins. He's, he's worked hard to uh, show and share the love of Jesus in the midst of a very divided time. So thanks for taking the time to actually um, be with us and have this conversation along with us as well. And uh, we appreciate you, Francis Collins. Oh, thank you, Ed. And I appreciate your asking the hard questions. That's what we should be talking about right now. If, if we're believers, if we're followers of Jesus, we shouldn't be afraid uh, to go there and see what it is that we're called to do. And thank you for what you're doing to spread the word and be sure the truth is out there. Thanks again for listening to Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. You can find more interviews, the show notes for this as well, where we'll link to some of the articles that I mentioned, as well as lots of other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And don't forget to check out Amplify Outreach Conference at amplifyoutreach.com. If you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few minutes to leave us a review on iTunes. That'll help uh, other ministry leaders find us, benefit from this content, lots of other content as well. You can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app, which is available for both Apple and Android. Hey, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. 
For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.